is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where members of the Legislative Black Caucus are calling for an outside investigation into an officer-involved shooting that took the life of a 22-year-old FAMU student. Despite a landmark death penalty ruling last week by the Florida Supreme Court, leaders in the state Senate say they are not going to change the law that requires a unanimous vote of the jury to impose a death sentence. Well, at least not in the current session. Florida pharmacists say they're being driven out of business by PBMs, short for Pharmacy Benefit Managers. PBMs were supposed to help people get the drugs they need at the best prices. Critics say some giant healthcare companies have rigged the system to raise rates, increase their profits, and drive small pharmacies out of business. On today's Sunrise interview, pollster extraordinaire Steve Vancor is in the studio to talk about the presidential campaign on the eve of the Iowa caucuses. We'll also have your calendar of events and our regular tribute to Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, January 31st. Back in December, about 10 days before Christmas, a 22-year-old black man named Jamie Johnson was shot four times and killed by a deputy during a routine traffic stop in Jacksonville. The officer claims it was self-defense, but State Representative Ramon Alexander and members of the Legislative Black Caucus are calling for an outside investigation. There are a lot of questions that have not been answered. Uh, we are requesting an independent investigation uh, from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. And we also want to get access to the tapes, unedited. And let's be clear, unedited access to uh, the tapes. The tapes he's talking about are the videos recorded by the officer's body cam. And Alexander says they want the whole file, not the sanitized version. Kimberly Austin would like to see them too. You see, Johnson was her youngest son. I don't know how to begin to heal because I don't know what happened to him. It's been about six weeks and I still don't know originally what happened, why they stopped him or anything. To this day, JSO has never contacted me since he was driving my vehicle. And it's hard for me to do anything not knowing what happened to my child. And all I want is to know what happened in those last five minutes of his life. This is my only mission now to find out what happened to my son, and that's the most important thing to me right now. The deputy who killed Johnson says he opened fire because the young man was reaching for a gun inside his car. Jamie's father, Harvey Johnson, says that story stinks of cover-up because his son has never been involved in any sort of criminal behavior. And Johnson says he still cannot get a straight answer from the sheriff's office or the state attorney in Jacksonville. We're basically here, we're looking for transparency, just to find out what happened to our son and why did it happen to our son. He was stopped for what is told us, a seatbelt violation, and we want to know how a seatbelt violation turns into an execution. We want to find out how a young man with a bright future, clean-cut young man, no record, no criminal inklings in his soul to be shot down like this. You know, me and my family, we reached out to the sheriff's office, we reached out to the state attorney's office for answers. We've yet to hear from anyone in those offices. I found out what happened to my son off of Facebook. Jamie Johnson was a senior at Florida A&M and would have graduated in May. His goal was to become an entrepreneur and run his own business. Last week, the Florida Supreme Court overturned a previous ruling that said the death penalty could only be imposed if the jury votes unanimously to recommend the ultimate punishment. 
The new decision opens the door for the legislature to reconsider a law they passed that requires a unanimous vote of the jury. But Senate President Bill Galvano says don't expect any changes during the current session. No, I don't think we're going to take any any steps in this Florida Senate to uh, change or address that. And while the court said a unanimous jury should not be required for a death sentence, state law says it is. And Senator Rob Bradley says there is nothing wrong with that. If you read the Supreme Court's decision in the matter, uh, they were deferential to the legislature and acknowledged that uh, the law that we passed on the death penalty is the law of the state. Uh, They uh, opined on a constitutional matter. They did not opine on the validity of the state law. We've uh, we passed a state law dealing with the death penalty. It requires uh, unanimous uh, jury votes to uh, put someone to death. Um, death is different. Uh, it's an appropriate uh, standard. Uh, it puts us, I think, in line uh, with um, sort of the norms of today. Uh, and Florida is not an outlier um, anymore. So it's appropriate where we are. You would not anticipate that any prosecutors, for example, would try to challenge the state law, given that the state Supreme Court has taken a different tack on it? Well, I I read the state Supreme Court decision to be very clear uh, on the issue of whether the state law is valid or not. The state Supreme Court said that our law is valid, Uh, so, uh, so no challenge would be successful to state law on the issue of whether a unanimous jury is required to put someone to death. All the Supreme Court did was opine on the constitutionality um, of a particular um, approach. But when it comes to our state law, the Supreme Court said our state law is constitutional. As of this morning, there were three women and 337 men on death row in Florida. If you've never had to deal with a PBM, count your blessings. Pharmacy benefit managers determine which drugs are covered by insurance plans, and they negotiate on behalf of insurers to secure discounts from drug manufacturers. Now, they're supposed to be the middleman between the big healthcare companies and pharmacies in order to make sure people get the best deal for the dollar. State Representative Randy Fine says it's a great idea, at least in theory. But in practice, he says it has turned into a shared monopoly where three giant healthcare companies control 85% of the market. The concept is not a bad one. The idea of a middleman whose job it is to manage costs on behalf of the consumer. But many good ideas can be corrupted. And the idea of PBMs is predicated on something very simple. That you have a drug manufacturer, you have a drug distributor, you have a PBM, and then you have a retailer. And they are separate. But markets fail when markets get corrupted. And that is what's happened here. When the middleman is allowed to own the end retailer, then the middleman's incentive to manage costs appropriately is broken. And that is what has happened here. State Representative Jackie Toledo says the system is rigged. And guess what? It's not rigged in your favor. PBMs have control over the entire uh, supply chain. And they've targeted our neighborhood pharmacies and have full autonomy of the market. These tactics must stop because what's happening is they're creating monopolies. And what happens when you have a monopoly? They dictate prices and limit choice. We need to stop that from happening. We need transparency in contracts, and patients need to know if there's price gouging, which there is from this rigged system. Michael Jackson of the Florida Pharmacy Association says hundreds of local pharmacies have been driven out of business over the past few years because of anti-competitive practices of the pharmacy benefit managers. For years, we've known that Florida's broken PBM mess has thrown a wrench in a healthcare system for Florida's patients, pharmacists, and the public. 
It's put pharmacies across the state out of business and more importantly jeopardized care for our state's most vulnerable and underserved patients. The study clearly shows that the current system does not treat all pharmacies equally or allow them to compete on a level market playing field. Instead, it puts a handful of vertically integrated companies at a significant advantage where they are frequently in a position to set arbitrary prices for their competitors. One of Jax's biggest complaints is self-dealing or steering. He says PBMs often steer patients to pharmacies that they own and then pay those pharmacies more than they pay other network or independent pharmacies. Bills have been filed in the House and Senate this year to increase transparency and crack down on PBMs, but they really don't appear to be getting much traction. Next up, the Sunrise Interview with resident pollster and political man about town Steve Vancour. He'll be setting the stage for the Iowa caucuses next week. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. If you live along the I-4 corridor, learn to use your business experience to impact public policy. Apply today to the Central Florida Political Leadership Institute at cflpli.org. The Orlando Economic Partnership offers this free nonpartisan program for business-minded leaders to explore whether elected or appointed office is right for them, discover political strategies to succeed and lead, and join a network of influencers. Apply by February 21st. Visit cflpli.org. That's cflpli.org. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Steve Vancor, and I know I told you he was going to talk about the Iowa caucuses, but first, he has stumbled onto something that's very important, and we need to pass that along. I, I, I do. You know, Senator Monford has, through the course of his career— Bill Monford of Tallahassee, who yeah, represents right. no, most of North Florida. That's right, yeah. Uh, has been a strong advocate for state workers and, of course, public education. And it looks like the Senate budget is going to include at least the first round and a pay increase for state employees. And kudos to Senator Montford for that. I, I know he's worked very, very hard. Whether it ends up staying in the budget, making it through the process, we don't know. But you know what? That's a major victory. And when he's worked as long and as hard as he has for that, good for him. Just one little shred of hope for state employees uh, exactly before everything right. gets pulled away from them again. <laughs> well, that is good news. And for all the state employees out there, I'm crossing my fingers for you. So it's the big game. The big game, uh, We, I got my hot dogs, I got my nachos, I got a cooler full of beer because we all know what, what's happening. But you're not rooting for Kansas City now, are you? <laughs> it's the Iowa caucus. Uh, Come on, Rick. The, it's the election season really kicks off on Monday night. Uh, in, a, in, in what is an American tradition, a very weird process, right? Where Not just weird, but old-fashioned, ancient, and archaic. And, and yes, it is. And, you know, literally people at 20 degrees below are gathering in gymnasiums, auditoriums, people's homes. Um, but this is going to be a very interesting one because remember, now we've talked about how Michael Bloomberg is surging in the polls, but he's not on the ballot there. So he will not be a factor here. But what's happening is uh, there are four basic front runners at this point, right? Okay. Beauty Gig, Sanders, um, Biden. Warren, and Biden, right. right? And so every one of them is going to want to come out with a victory. Well, for the first time ever, they've changed the rules at the Iowa caucuses to do two things that I think are critical to what's going to make this. You know, Democrats can't be content with chaos. They, you know, there has to be more chaos. So what you're going to have <laughs> is 
Uh, it's always worked for them before. It is exactly right. If you had a bad plan, we can make it worse. Yeah. Um, I remember a former executive director of the party saying to me one time, he goes, well, we've hit rock bottom. And so we're starting to dig. Uh, so the uh, they the, can snatch defeat from the jaws that's of victory. Exactly right. yes. So what they, what they one of the rule changes is you know you gather up. Let's say you're in a gymnasium and they do it. You know they have all these things. You hand out literature. You give speeches, etc. And then you do a vote count. Well, there's always there's been this fifteen percent rule where the candidates who fall below fifteen percent are basically kicked off the island, and their their voters are free to go to the other islands. And what used to happen, though, is even if you were on an island that was above 15 percent, you could move too. well, they changed that rule. So you got to stay put. And that's having an interesting impact because you have four front runners that are all hovering around 15 percent. So you could have, in theory, a Biden at 14.5 and then, boom, he's to zero and his delegates have to get distributed to somebody else. But the people can't then move to go, I want to go ahead and resurrect Biden. The other thing that's really interesting, there's going to be three prizes awarded, you know, because, again, Democrats and we're going to give a mediocre ribbon uh, is prize. Number one is they're going the Democratic Party is going to release the first round voting. Never done that before. So somebody could take a victory there. The second prize will be the raw voting after the second round. The third prize will be the delegates. And so now you're going to have a little bit more chaos coming out of there as you head into New Hampshire. And New Hampshire, the only two people really playing, and they're playing the perception game, Bernie Sanders will likely win New Hampshire by double digits. And geography, simply. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a territory. To his home state. Yeah. Independents are allowed to vote for the Democrats. And since there's no real competition on the Republican side, they're going to likely independents who show up. Uh, which is about 42% of the electorate is going to be able to come in and cast a ballot. So Joe Biden is hoping to pull what I would call a Bill Clinton there. You may recall Bill Clinton came in third after the uh, one of the big stories broke, and he called it a victory. Uh, I remember he was the comeback kid. Yeah. Well, Joe Biden, if he comes in less than double digits behind Sanders in New Hampshire, he can declare a bit of a victory there. So that helps him going into South Carolina. So that's what we're that's what those of us in the business are looking at. Right. Well, in Iowa, this also means that it's probably three, maybe four will be able to claim they had a victory. There, that's depending exactly on right. how it splits out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if Elizabeth Warren comes in second delegate, she can claim victory. If Biden comes in first place in the first run, he can claim victory. If Sanders, who was who was dropping off before and now is making a little bit of a comeback, uh, most polls. But remember, Warren got the, the newspaper's endorsement, which is critical uh, there. But, yes, yeah, so you can have four people declare victory there. So they have made it. Even more complicated exactly. and, and even more irrelevant. Like you said, part of the American tradition. <sighs> Thank you, Democrats. <laughs> and that's what it is. That, that's, that's the that's Super Bowl of politics right All right. Now. Well, I'm, have you, are you placing your bets? Um, in the short term, I think Bernie is going to do well, and which is not good news for Democrats because, as we've talked about on this show before, Bernie Sanders is like the, the person you went to the date with the prom with last year, and he was polling in the mid-teens. Well, the other candidates have gotten a close-up look, and they're going back to the candidate who ran last time. And that's probably not good for the enthusiasm of Democrats. Does that so ref I'm sorry. Go ahead. Does that reflect a little bit of 
exhaustion with the whole process? People are just getting tired of hearing from the Democratic candidates? Well, I think what they've done is they've given Elizabeth Warren a close look. They've given some of the other candidates a close look. Remember, we started out with 24, you know, candidates who were campaigning up there were down, down to 12. And this will winnow it down even further. I think after oh, Iowa, after New Hampshire, you'll be down to six. And then everybody will be staying and running for vice president. But I said in the short run, I think Bernie Sanders is going to come away being able to hold his hands high and claim some sort of victory, especially one of these three things. But I'm really intrigued in watching Michael Bloomberg. I'm not affiliated with any presidential campaign, so I don't want anybody to say anything. But Michael Bloomberg is starting to show up in polls in a surprising way, even if at six, seven, eight percent. Remember, Tom Steyer has been it now for a while and in many polls, he's still an asterisk. You're not seeing that with Bloomberg. He's starting to catch fire. Yes, it's brute force. But remember, Steyer's spending a lot of money, too. Uh, there's something about the Bloomberg campaign that's starting to catch on. And that's I'm looking longer term. I think you're going to see Bloomberg come out at Super Tuesday as one of the chief competitors. Well, we sort of do have this reputation for electing Rich people from New York, I guess. That's exactly right. All right. <laughs> Thank you very much for confusing me even more, Steve. <laughs> That's the idea. Our guest Thanks, today, Rick. Steve Vancour, Mad About Town and Political Bon Vivant. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Your calendar of events begins with Florida Congressman Darren Soto, who is co-chair of, get this now, the Congressional Blockchain Caucus. They're hosting a blockchain event titled The Future of Money, Governance, and the Law at 9 this morning in the U.S. Capitol. Congressman Matt Gates will speak at the Defense Leadership Forum's 2020 Air Force Contracting Summit. That's being held in northwest Florida starting at 9 central time at the Hilton Sandestin Beach Golf Resort and Spa in Miramar Beach. Governor Ron DeSantis and U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas will be among the speakers at a conference of the Florida chapter of the Federalist Society. The event starts at 3.15 in Disney's Yacht and Beach Club Resort. DeSantis and Thomas will speak during a banquet that starts at 6.45. Author and Tampa Bay Times environmental reporter Craig Pittman is at the Midtown Reader in Tallahassee at 6 tonight to talk about his new book. It's called Cattail, The Wild, Weird Battle to Save the Florida Panther. He's also one of the intrepid journalists who has been chronicling Florida Man. If you can't be there in person, you can hear Craig on Monday's episode of the Sunrise Podcast. And on Saturday, five judges who serve on the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, including former Florida Supreme Court Justices Robert Luck and Barbara Lagoa, will be among the speakers at a conference of the Florida chapter of the Federalist Society. Other speakers include the Governor's General Counsel and former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Kotkamp. It starts at 8 a.m. at Lake Buena Vista. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, who sometimes wears a fast food disguise. Deputies in Osceola County say a Florida man walked into a McDonald's in Kissimmee wearing an employee uniform, went behind the cash register, and helped another man place an order. Then, once the register was open, the man posing as an employee grabbed a handful of cash and bolted. So did the guy who placed the order. Deputies say it's the second time they've pulled this stunt. The first incident was on Christmas Day. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.